policy beyond borders. Welcome to Policy Beyond Borders, a podcast series on geopolitics and international relations by Center for Public Policy Research, CPPR, where we bring to you podcasts with insightful discussions and newer perspectives on a wide range of topics of contemporary relevance with experts to discuss, deconstruct, and advocate for things that matter. Podcast episodes of Policy Beyond Borders by CPPR are on Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and on cppr.in. Hello, everyone. This is Milima, Associate Research from Center for Public Policy Research. Welcome to our podcast, Policy Beyond Borders. In this episode, we'll be discussing Bangladesh foreign policy under Prime Minister Sheikh Hasina's new term. Tune in and let's get started. Bangladesh Prime Minister Sheikh Hasina retains her title as the world's longest-serving female head of the government after her party swept more than half the parliament seats in the recently concluded 12th general election in Bangladesh. She has won for the fourth consecutive term, while this is her fifth overall term as the Prime Minister of the country. Taking you back to the election process in Bangladesh, Bangladesh unicameral legislative body Jatiya Sansad has 350 members, of whom 300 are elected in national elections held every five years. 50 seats are reserved for women appointed by the ruling party or coalition. Bangladesh has a multi-party political system that is dominated by the Awami League and the Bangladesh Nationalist Party. Since 2019, the ruling party has been the Awami League under the leadership of Sheikh Hasina. A series of events happened in Bangladesh prior to the voting, including allegations of elections not being free and fair, the arrest of number of opposition activists, and the main opposition BNP boycotting the elections. The international community, including major powers like US, China, Russia, and even India, had their own say in the violence witnessed in Bangladesh prior to the election. We'll be further exploring these aspects in this discussion with Dr. Mubashir Hassan. Dr. Mubashir Hassan is a researcher, communication expert, and political analyst, a well-known expert in Bangladesh. Dr. Hassan holds a PhD in politics from Griffith University, Australia. He is currently a postdoctoral fellow at the Department of Cultural Studies and Orient Languages at the University of Oslo, Norway. In addition to authoring two books, Islam and Politics in Bangladesh and The Narratives of Bangladesh, Culture, Politics, and History, Hazan has co-edited two books and written numerous journal articles and chapters on Bangladesh and global politics. Welcome to Policy Beyond Borders, Dr. Hazan. Thank you, Nilima. Looking forward to the discussion. Of course. So, uh, as I mentioned before, uh, with respect to major powers in the international arena and their say in the 2024 Bangladesh elections, uh, if we look at the United States, uh, through both its statements and actions, the U.S. had taken the lead among the global actors, urging Bangladesh to enhance its democratic process and uh, advocating for dialogue to address existing political deadlock. Such appeals have frequently been met, met with opposition uh, from the Awami League government. Uh, but in response to the Western pressure, Russia and China have criticized what they perceive as U.S. interference while India has criticized the upcoming falls as an internal matter of Bangladesh. 
Going a bit backward in 2020, the then Depu Deputy Secretary of State, Stephen Bezan, affirmed the United States' dedication to strengthening its collaboration with Bangladesh, recognizing it as a key partner in the Indo-Pacific region. The 2023 Country Development Cooperation Strategy of the U.S. Agency for International Development highlights Bangladesh's strategically significant geographic location, serving as a connecting point between South and the Southeast Asia. So, uh, will the latest election-related uh, global scrutiny of Bangladesh have a significant impact on Dhaka's relations with our major powers, uh, as we discussed before? So, the election will bring um, Bangladesh closer to India. Um, no other prime minister or head of state tweeted uh, congratulating Prime Minister Sheikh Hasina uh, like uh, Prime Minister Modi did yesterday. Um, and that despite the fact that election was controversial, um, num and it, it was a it was an effective way to legitimize a one-party state. If you look into the composition of the parliament, it needs at least an opposition and there is no opposition at the moment because no one was able to fulfill the 10% uh, quota that will qualify 10% quota in the parliament that will qualify someone as opposition. So practically we're looking at a one-party state. Um, within that, I think Bangladesh would be more would work closer with India. And also, it will work closely with China. Um, and that means eventually it will be working closely with Russia too. In respect to the liberal democratic world, um, the US and the UK issued critical statement of the election. They essentially, they said the election was not free and fair. Um, but they both reiterated the fact that they would continue to partner with Asina. In summary, what I want to state is that while there will be no scrutiny from um, Bangladesh, Bangladesh's friendly nations like India, Russia, China, there will be a bit more scrutiny from the US, probably from the UK too. But having said that, they will also work closely with Bangladesh. Um, but it perhaps would be a bit less harder for the Bangladeshi government to work um, with the West because Previously, they haven't uh, raised too much of an issue about the governance model. We don't know how it will unfold in the coming days. So we need to wait and see. Thank you, Dr. Hasrin. Uh, so uh, as we were discussing this, I would like to know what are the immediate foreign policy priorities of the uh, new Hadina government in Dhaka in managing this uh, tumultuous relationship with major players? 
I mean, they will try to convince that uh, they'll try to convince the major players like US and UK that they should come on board with Hasina's government, and uh, because they they have already elected themselves, so that would be one way to do it. So I think one of the key foreign policy priority for the government is to uh, mend the relationship with US and UK and the wider liberal democratic world. Also, I think one of the other main uh, challenge for Hazina government is the intensifying uh, war in neighboring Myanmar, uh, which has the potential to spill to Bangladesh as well. So what is your uh, thought on that? So this is this is a, always a potential, but it, it is unlikely in the coming days, I think, because um, Myanmar government, despite of armed resistance uh, from the rebels and the democracy activists, is still quite strong. Um, you know, look, the spillover of the war or spillover of the conflict in Myanmar was the manifestation of the influx of Rohingya refugee crisis, right? And Bangladesh was gracious enough to give them a place to stay, even though they did not recognize them as refugee. That means they are not... Um, being not enshrined with the rights and um, dignity of human beings in many in on many sectors. But putting that aside, there are few instances where we found that there were um, armed conflict between different groups of Rohingya refugees, and also we found um, probably some of the groups from Bangladesh, uh, from Rohingya camp, joined the armed resistance in Myanmar. But if you say spillover, like Myanmar is, you know, I don't see Bangladesh is getting in fight with Myanmar. And China is a big factor there in terms of stabilizing the situation. So I would think that Bangladesh will keep a close eye to the development in Myanmar region, but not sure that the war would spill over here. But there are always um, possibility that more refugees may enter into Bangladesh and that would kind of complicate the scenario for Hasina's government. Thank you, Dr. Hazran. Uh, so as you have already mentioned uh, that the elections will uh, bring Bangladesh closer to India, where India and uh, uh, Sheikh Hasina and uh, PM Modi will be working much more closer. So uh, what uh, what are the elements of continuity which we can be uh, which we can see in India-Bangladesh relations in the fourth consecutive term of uh, Sheikh Hasina? So one of the things Hasina will try to pursue um indian government to take a definitive steps on water sharing 
um, in the in, in the shared water, shared river. Um, whereas India will look for further um, inwards within Bangladesh. They have been in in uh, consultation with the Bangladeshi government about transit and transshipment. Um, the Bangladeshi authority has given the uh, approval of Indians using some of the port facilities in the country. But I think, and it's, it's very important for India because in that way, the cost of good and service um, carrying goods and service from one part of India to the northeastern part of India would come down um, uh, in a in a good in a good way. So I think India will push further to give access to roads and highways so so that they can use the roads and highways to carry. Uh, goods to the northeastern region of India, and there is no no reason for Asina to um, disallow that because I think uh, both countries are now in a position of a very trusted relationship, which was missing uh, during other governments' time. So transshipment, and there is an issue of. Um, power export from India through Adani, and that would take place too. Uh, furthermore, it would be possible that India would continue to pursue Bangladesh to buy uh, arms from India. Uh, that, that would be, I would assume, on Indians' side, that would be their agenda. And from Bangladesh side, I think they will also try to uh, encourage India to provide a lesser tax-free import from India, import of Indian goods to Bangladesh. And this negotiation would take place between two friends. So there are, you know, the sky is the possibility at the moment. Anything is possible now. Uh, also, you have highlighted that Bangladesh will always work closer with China. So India is actually uh, concerned about Dhaka's growing relations with China. So how do you place China factor in India-Bangladesh relations? So this is quite this is a quagmire for me. I mean, it's 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 quite complex. It's not that straightforward because. One of the things China has done is that China has transformed, and also Japan invested too. They, these two countries have invested um, in Bangladesh through loans and other packages to transform its agrarian landscape to an urban one. So now we have big bridge, um, flyover, and um, tunnel under the sea, road tunnel under the sea. So uh, under the, there are there are many things happening in in Bangladesh, and that would that would strategically serve some purpose of India too, because you know if Bangladesh's development and inf Bangladesh sees infrastructural development, 
that means if india could pursue bangladesh to give access to their lands and roads and um and 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 waterways to use to carry goods from the to their northeastern side that is a win-win situation for bangladesh i mean i don't know about bangladesh but that would be a win-win situation for india too and Bangladesh made sure so far, and I think Indian administration is convinced also that Bangladesh should not be a playground through which a India would face any security concern, which was the major reason why Indian Indian government don't like Bangladesh opposition, despite Bangladesh opposition have more sub you know wide support widespread support in the society um so i i'm, I'm not sure in the you know there what in bangladesh has been telling to indian authorities or indian governments is that china is our development partner and we need we need we need money to develop and china is there with money and their money are less rigorous than the western monies uh, in terms of in terms of um in terms of develop in a project development and uh, project scrutiny so it fits their purpose but having said that i do not think that bangladesh government in any way after this uh, incredible support that india has lent to asina's government in the election just which is just finished, that Bangladesh would use, Bangladesh would be cautious to irritate India. Having said that, having said that, I need to, uh, I need to emphasize um, that what India has done, I mean, it's not, I know it's not your um, part of your question, but I think it's important for the context, is that what Indian foreign policy has done so far is that it has isolated itself within within Aumi League in Bangladesh, whereas Aumi League still has leverage over India in a sense that it has a, it, it is a good friend with China. So that is kind of a balancing factor, whereas India doesn't have any other leverage than Army League in Bangladesh. I don't know whether it makes sense. Yeah, that's a correct point. I do think uh, is uh, some facts that India is depend on Army League alone in Bangladesh. Uh, so. Uh... If we uh, talk about uh, something which hasn't happened, so if BNP had come to power, suppose, uh, do you feel yeah. Bangladesh would have done better compared with what Awami League has done in terms of the foreign policy aspects? So I, what BNP would have done, you know, there is a traditional antagonistic relationship and mistrust between India and BNP. Uh, BN, uh, in my in my through my sources, I understood that BNP tried to reach out to India, but India saw no other option but to support Awami League. Having said that, um, I think in BNP made it clear in the past few months and the year leading up to election, is that it 
it is NT China and it 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 issued a statement several times criticizing China. They haven't done it to that extent uh, to India, but I'm not sure they're not going to do it in future. Um, so there is a there is a there could be a chance that uh, perhaps uh, they will try to instigate anti-Indian mindset in Bangladesh while tying this with the persisting authoritarianism and one-party rule, and that that in so I think India needs to be careful on that front and. Um, I also think India needs to reach out to uh, through its public diplomacy to the to to expand its track to diplomacy uh, in Bangladesh. And to answer your question, whether in India, whether Bangladesh would do better comparing to um League, it is a difficult question to answer, but what they would have done is that they would have been more accountable to US. And, and from that perspective, perhaps US had would have more leverage over Bangladesh, which will make sure that um, that means that you know lesser leverage for China. But I don't think India wanted to take that risk. Um and yeah, so for that I don't know because India BNP is in not in power for over fifteen years now, and it's 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 a long time, right? And we're looking at five more years minimum, so twenty years. So we don't know what would happen if BNP would have been power. But three things would have happened: one, it would be pro-Western; it would have been anti-Chinese, and America would have more leverage in Bangladesh than China. Thank you, Dr. Hassan, for highlighting that three important aspects. One is that uh, BNP would be more pro-Western and anti-China and America will be having a more leverage over uh, Chinese in Bangladesh. Uh, so uh, economy is also one aspect which is part of foreign policy uh, where more investments from other uh, countries are welcome. So when we look into the uh, economy of Bangladesh, uh, the recent forecast by United Nations says that the real GDP growth in Bangladesh is expected to slow to 5.6% in the ongoing fiscal 2023-24, down from an estimated 6% growth, which was a year ago. So in spite of experiencing prolonged GDP growth and improvements in the social indicators over the years, Bangladesh uh, economic stability is currently actually precarious. Uh, so what missteps uh, did you think uh, Awami League has taken in managing the country's economy and what measures do you believe can be implemented to enhance the economic prospects of the country? And how do you think the foreign policy of Dhaka under the new government uh, will try to address this issue? So, you know, this is, we, I would answer it in, uh, it would be a bit long answer. First is, the reason, one of the motivation of Army League turning the country into one party state is economy. And by that, I mean, authoritarianism is beneficial and lucrative for a group of people who are in power. And if it is not a democracy, that means that there are less and less 
option for accountability and less and less options for checks and balances within that system as the, it happened in Russia. It, and similarly, it is happening in Bangladesh. A group of people are becoming filthy rich and they're rich in that sense that there was a there was a story that came out in the Daily Star recently, which is a uh, leading English newspaper in Bangladesh that a, for a Bangladeshi minister owned 256 houses in UK. Just imagine the amount of wealth people are, um, people are generating who are in power through misuse of public orders. And, you know, there are a lot more benefit. They are exposed to a lot more benefit as they are in power. And that is the problem that is being reflected in the economic sector is that when we talk about an authoritarian government, which Bangladesh is, and now it is turning, has turned to an effectively one party state, it means that a group of people become very powerful. And within that structure, uh, various groups, you know, that means that a syndicate, a group, there. that means we're talking about syndicated power. And that syndicate runs through every sector in the country um, who have certain political allegiance. So it, it, it so businessmen uh, in universities, in, um, in, 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 in other trade sector and so forth. So it is, we're talking about effective syndication of the total country. And that is, that has made the problem of economy quite hard. You know, they say that it's COVID-19, it's a war in Ukraine and so forth. But the problem is many of these people took thousands of thousands of dollars loan from, 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 the, from the bank, from the banking sector. And they use political, um, they use political capital, they use political pressure, influence, and so forth. And Bangladesh now is in a position that they are not being, um, there are not enough dollar in the country. So GDP is not really an effective way to measure a country's economic success. It's, it tells a very simple story. Um, I would encourage you to look into the everyday, you know, the everyday struggle of common people in Bangladesh. And one of the reasons I believe Aumi League government has has came down ruthlessly on the opposition rallies is that there are a lot of uh, day laborers, rickshaw puller. Uh, people who are living in the margin started to join those rallies. So I believe our government understood that if they allow these rallies to persist, then the opposition could generate a nationwide anti-government movement. So they stopped it. Um, despite that, uh, the last big rally uh, the opposition held in uh, on the on the victory day of which is 16 december last year and a reuters journalist 
who was covering that rally told me, and he also tweeted that he talked with a lot of people who joined the rally and asked them who are they, why they joined, and 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 those. So his questions were in those lines, and majority or even a significant number of people told him that they do not do they do they are not associated formally with the opposition party but they came to protest because their um, everyday lives are be, living an everyday life becoming a major struggle and and that's why they joined and these these are just some of the some of the indicators that what is going on um, in the margins of Bangladeshi society while um, a plethora of writing by uh, well-placed writers in Washington, New Delhi um, are writing that Bangladesh is a success story, but that success story does not resonate and did not resonate for long to mass people. And, and that brings me to make a point that when we talk about economy, we also need to understand, you know, authoritarian government, one of the role authoritarian government does is that they manipulate a lot of data. And it's not me that I'm, I'm I am, I am uh, making a complaint. There are research on it. And it's all about it's all about facts. It's all about figures. It's all about bureaucracy. It's all about paperwork, which happened uh, similarly in terms of e the election when the chief election commissioner uh, announced that forty percent Bangladeshis voted in that election, even though journalists found that in the election commission office the actual number of vote casted are showing 27.8%. So these inflated figures create a story of Bangladesh that is a bit different than the stories of that the people who are living in the margin or people who are middle class are living. And I'm not sure a one-party state would be able to address it. If they do, that would be an incredible story. But also I want to point out Aumilik is not Chinese Communist Party. So there are a lot of internal food, there are a lot of internal division and context. And we saw that the days leading up to election that you know intra-party rivalry, killing, shooting, and so forth. So it is not as disciplined as Chinese Communist Party. So there are every chance that we'll see this government is struggling in terms of containing the economy. So what are the good things that they could do, as you asked me, the word to address this economic peril? I mean, obviously, address the corruption, uh, but why they would do that because it depends it's a network you know it's a structure of networked people and it would be difficult to establish that now after so many years 
and people have already benefited from that networking system. So I don't think that they would be able effectively able to address this. So from Indian perspective, they need to keep an eye on that factor. Second is it would have been easier that less and less uh, manipulation of actual facts and figure, but it's also going not going to happen. I'm I'm sounding pessimistic, but eventually I think it will turn out to be close to something that I said that economy is the biggest challenge for Bangladesh government, and until they address the corruption and the tendency of making money in Bangladesh, and then and then transfer it or smuggle it outside of the country to buy flats in London, Sydney, New York. Until that behavior is not checked, I'm not hopeful. Uh, yeah, you have also mentioned uh, the Bangladesh Awami League of your the possibility of an uh, anti-government uprising coming up. So how do you see the possibility of this opposition being able to generate an anti-government movement right now after the win of the Awami League? So is there any I, chance for that? <laughs> so, you know, that, that's the thing I've been trying to um, make a point to the external audience or observer of Bangladesh is that anti-government movement is there, but it is not possible to think that millions of people will take the street, right? Because Bangladeshi security forces are trigger-happy security forces. The only reason U.S. sanction on Bangladeshi security forces were popular because uh, it placed a deterrence on them and it kind of stopped extrajudicial killing and enforced disappearance. That means at least 30 lives were saved every month. So if we multiply in what is the impact of U.S. sanction in three years, it would be like at least 900 people's lives have been saved. And if you consider they have at least five members family, then we're talking about over 400 and 4,500 people not going through heroic, harrowing trauma because of the sanction. Having said that, people would not take a street and mass against the government um, because it is a very repressive regime. Um, but this un, um, this 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 rage, you know, there are some rage that this dissatisfaction would persist, and there would be a tipping. There may be a tipping point at some point that may outburst. Uh, I, I'm not sure that that would be done. That would be possible by BNP. It could be someone from a student group or some other group, but it could also be done by BNP. We don't know. But what are my point is that there are a lot of frustration and anger and grief around the society. And if the government does not acknowledge those and address those and think about reconciliation, um, it would be a difficult journey for the government. Thank you, Dr. Hassan, for such an engaging conversation. It was great to know your insights uh, regarding the foreign policy of Bangladesh with major powers. Uh, we have discussed that Bangladesh will work closely with India, China, and Russia.
but with respect to us and uk uh, they'll continue to work but there are also few challenges ahead and also other major challenge for the new awami league government is the economy of the bangladesh uh, with that we have come to the end of this episode uh, get ready for another episode that will really make you think diving into strategically and geopolitically relevant issue across the globe until then it's me nilima signing off to our podcast series Policy Beyond Borders by CPPR on Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast and also on the CPPR website www.cppr.in.